Okay, well, let's open our Bibles to 2 Timothy. At the end of chapter 3, we spent uh, two Sundays looking really... just dwelling a little bit more about the meaning of the inspiration of scripture and its implications on the reliability of the bible it's and its uniqueness and and uh in the midst of all of that we didn't we we missed a lot in 16 and 17 and so i i want to look there in in for some of our thoughts this morning also but we'll also go down through verse 4 in chapter 4 so it'll be chapter 3 16 through chapter 4 verse 4 it's on page 1416 if you're using one of our bibles and i'll I'll read that section for you all scripture is inspired by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness so that the man of god may be adequate equipped for every good work I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. This is an interesting passage. And when uh, as you read through from verse 16 through verse four there, two words uh, pop up in front of you that capture the there's two thrusts in this passage two two main points and those words are the words profitable and preach you see there in um, verse 16 and and 17 it's talking about the scripture and it says in verse 16 all scripture is inspired by god and is profitable and then it goes on to explain more what he means by it being profitable so there's the word of god being profitable and then he gets down in chapter four and after this great introduction in verse one he gives his his um his main point to timothy he says preach the word so we see that the whole passage here is talking about the scriptures, talking about the word of God. And he's saying that on the one hand, it's profitable. On the other hand, preach it, preach that word. So I want to organize my, my thoughts this morning around those two ideas, it being profitable and preach the word of God. So let's start our time thinking about the word of God being profitable. And I see in this passage uh, four ways in which the word of God impacts us. It's there. We see it in verse 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. That's four different ways that the word of God impacts us. And then he ends his thought with, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So first of all, the first way in which the word of God impacts us is that it informs us. The word of God informs us. We see that from the word uh, teach there in verse 16. 
Scripture is inspired by God. Profitable for teaching, it says. Profitable for teaching. The Word of God teaches us. The Word of God gives us information that we didn't have before or that we didn't understand before. The Word of God informs us. There's an amazing passage in Romans 6. I'll read it for you. If you want to turn there, you can. Verse 17 and 18, but, but I'll, I'll read it for you. In that passage, it's a, it's a vastly, greatly important passage, chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 6, that captures the entire uh, process of walking with Christ right there in one, one chapter. In verse 17, he says this, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, so now, now he's, he's talking about the way you were. He says, Though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to something, which I'll mention in a minute, um, to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. So in this passage, he's saying he, he's capturing this whole, tr- the whole picture of the enormously significant change that occurs in our lives when we become Christians and as we grow as Christians. We were slaves to sin, but that gets changed and we end up being slaves to righteousness. Very amazing transformation. But what's in the middle of it? What, what is it that makes that change? He says, though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to what? To that form of teaching to which you were committed. The teaching of the word of God. It's actually the teaching of God in this book that, that penetrates our minds and then penetrates our hearts and changes us from being slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness. Amen? There's no living the Christian life without being taught from the Word of God. And that that teaching could come just you reading the Scriptures quietly in your home and God teaches you from it. could be in a small group where you're discussing the Word of God. It could be in a sermon. I sure hope some of that happens in sermons, you know. And, and But in whatever the context, it's the Word of God and God is teaching you, teaching you through his word and with without that there's just no living of the christian life there's no transformation from being a slave to sin to being a slave to righteousness the word of god informs us that's where it all starts everything that comes afterwards that we're going to look at it starts right here this is step one god teaches us he informs us through his word Secondly, the Word of God alarms us. The Word of God alarms us. I see that in, the, in that second word there in verse 16. The Word of God, the Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof. <clears throat> it reproves us. When we start getting off the path, the Word of God shakes us up. The Word of God reproves us. It alarms us. It waves the red flag in front of us. <clears throat> God does that in our lives. Amen? It's not always fun. Matter of fact, it's always not fun. 
but but God does it. He reproves us when we get off the track. Turn to Hebrews. Uh, this is going to be on page 1431. Hebrews chapter 12. I want to spend a little time there. I want you to see it. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 5. I was thinking about this word reproof. And my mind went to a passage in Proverbs which speaks about God reproving us. And then I, then I remembered that that passage in Proverbs is quoted in the New Testament in Hebrews 12. And I wound up there. I'd like to share this with you. Look at verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And then he quotes Proverbs. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, We had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best for them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. If you find in your life, you find God reproving you. You find God moving into your life. And, and through his word, he begins, to, he begins to alarm you, to set the alarm bells off. This isn't right. There's something in your life that's not right. Well, first of all, this passage says, don't think too little of that. You see there in verse 5, as he begins to quote the, pro- the Proverbs, he says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. God's moving into your life, and he's going to discipline you. So, first of all, don't think too little of that. Take it seriously, because God is taking it seriously. But secondly, don't think too much of it. Look at the next line. It says, nor faint. When you are reproved by him, don't, don't disregard it and, and don't faint under the weight. Oh, my goodness, God is reproving me and I'm no good. I can never do anything right. I'm a sinner. Woe is me. And down I go. I faint under it. He says, no, don't, don't do that either. But own it, rather, as a mark of God's love for you. Look at verse 6. For those whom the Lord loves... He disciplines those whom the Lord loves. He loves us so much that he'll he'll take his word and alarm us and show us where it is we're getting off. And then, as we'll see momentarily, if if we don't listen to his word, he can use other things to get our attention. Better to listen first than to wait to feel him spank you. So own it as a mark that God loves you. Amen? That you're his child. You know, when our kids were of spanking age, 
not not beating. I know people go crazy about uh, whether you should spank your kids or not, but I'm not talking about any kind of abuse, but at times they needed a little more than words. And, uh, um, you know, I didn't run around the neighborhood spanking everybody else's kids. I only spanked mine when they needed it, if they needed it. And and that showed my, my relationship with them. These are my kids, and I love them so much that I can't let them get away with this. Amen? When, you're, when you feel God's spanking hand on you, you remember that he always spanks this way. He always spanks towards himself because you're his child. Own that as a mark that God loves you. And then know that God has your good in mind. Look down at verse 10. For they disciplined us, our fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. God, when he speaks into our life with his word and he alarms us, it alarms us. Remember, it's for our good. It's for our good. God is doing something good in our life. Sometimes this reproof from God through his word comes to us via a person. There's a person who's taking God's word and presenting it to you. And you you don't like what's being said at first, but it's true and, and you know it's true. Please, if that happens to you, don't shoot the messenger. He or she is just passing on to you what is true from God. Proverbs 9 verse 8 says, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. A scoffer has the word of God reprove him and then he hates the person that showed it to him. But says, it goes on to say, but reprove a wise man and he will love you. Amen. We've all been in the uncomfortable circumstance where, well, I I hope you have been. It shows that we love each other if this happens. Where someone, a brother or sister in Christ, shows you the word and says, you know, I'm concerned. I think you're going off track here. and, And they show you the word. If you're a wise one, you'll love them for it. Amen. If you're a scoffer, you'll hate him. But sometimes this reproof, this alarm from God comes in solitude. There's no other person involved in it. It's just God speaking to you through his word. However he does it, listen to him. Amen. Receive it. For in back now in Second Timothy, he's saying that the word of God is profitable for informing us, but also alarming us. He alarms us through his word. And then thirdly, the word of God turns us. It turns us. Verse 16 again, Second Timothy 3. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. This correction, this is where God, he's alarmed us. He says, you're off the path. You're going the wrong direction. Now his word, he keeps giving us his word and shows us how to turn around and how to get back on the right path. He turns us with his word. He corrects us. Very interesting passage in Job chapter 37, verse 11 to 13. I'll read it for you. We don't, we don't hear a lot about Job, but he, um, there's some amazing passages in that book. 
speaking about God and how God is in control of the clouds and the rain and the storms. It says, also with moisture. And for a minute, you're going to think, what in the world am I reading this verse for? But hang with me. With moisture, he loads the thick cloud. He disperses the cloud of his lightning. It changes direction, turning around by his guidance, that it may do whatever he commands it on the face of the inhabited earth, whether for correction or for the land or for loving kindness. He causes it to happen. This is amazing amazing verse what he's saying is that god moves the storm clouds the ones that are that are raining hard with lightning and he can and he does that for whatever his reason is on the one hand he can do it for the land to give it rain to give it water for another for his loving kindness some expression of loving kindness but he also does it for correction it's amazing God can take the storm clouds and use them in our lives to correct us and to turn us. Job 37, 11 to 13. You see, he can use things other than his word, but it would certainly be easier if we were merely listening to his word and responding to it. Amen? This reminds me of one summer. I was in high school I'd spent part of the summer with my cousin, and my cousin had a motorcycle. And that was, that was fun. And I got to ride his motorcycle a couple times, and of course, that's all it took. Uh, you know, I rode it about twice, and that meant that I was going to be the next motocross champion of, you know, the country. I was an expert on the motorcycle now. And I came back home, and my dad knew about it and stuff. And then a friend of mine, he got a motorcycle. And so I asked my dad, you know, hey, you know, knowing that I was entirely competent, I said, you know, I, I want to, I'm going to ride my friend's motorcycle, so and so. And my dad said, no, no, you don't do that. So one evening, uh, I was out over at my friend's house, and he had his motorcycle out. And, I'm not exactly sure how the conversation went. I don't know if he said, hey, would you like to ride it? Or if I said, hey, can I ride it? It might have been the second. I'm not sure. I don't actually remember. But I, I kind of, in the back of my mind, I was remember my dad told me not to do this. But I did it anyway because, after all, I was entirely competent. So I got on the motorcycle, and I remember it was great. You know, those were the days we didn't have video cameras in our phones there were no such such things and there wasn't youtube but <clears throat> if there was i'm sure it would have been a youtube sensation for for you know my 15 minutes of fame i kind came down this road turned the corner there was a, the community swimming pool was over here and there was a parking lot which was gravel and it was getting shorter by the moment uh, by every second it was getting smaller and smaller and i forgot where the break was I forgot how, you know, in my excitement, it's dark. I just see the headlight go by, and there's the trees. They're getting closer and closer. I forgot. And I just went like this. That locked up the front wheel, and over I went, flying like Superman <laughs> through the darkness towards the trees. Only I wasn't Superman, so I landed. It was very uncomfortable. 
So I got back up and I was bleeding and the motorcycle was wrecked. And then I got to go back and talk to my dad. <laughs> and he said something like, what did I tell you? You know, you know, uh, you can save yourself a lot of pain and a lot of embarrassment, a lot of money. I had to pay for the replacement of this motorcycle. That took a long time. I had to earn the money and pay it to my friend. All the pain, all the embarrassment, all of the expense. I, would, I, could, have, I could have avoided all of that if I had just listened and done what I was told. Amen? I know that things like that never happened to you. Yeah. But God can correct us. If we don't listen, he'll correct us with the storm clouds. Sometimes he brings those storm clouds in with lightning, it does. And he's for what? For correction. But if we listen, we'll feel him correcting us right in his word. He informs us. He alarms us. You're getting off the path. If we have tender hearts toward him, we go to him then and say, Oh, Lord, forgive me. How do I, how do I get back? He'll teach us. He'll tell us. And if we listen, we can miss the storm clouds. He turns us with his word. And then fourthly, fourthly, he molds us with his word. That's another way that God's word impacts us. It molds us. I was looking for the right word here. You see again in verse 16, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And then it says for training in righteousness. Various English translations use various words there for the word training. The training in righteousness. I, I was thinking I was, th- this, this word has the idea of coaching us in a sense coaching us but it's coaching it's a coach who has authority think about this way as athletes submit themselves to their coach so they recognize an authority in their coach and they do what the coach says no matter what it is they do it and it's the coach's words are changing the athlete's behavior which then makes them a better person it actually changes them they're being trained. I remember in, in college when I was wrestling, we, we, uh, at, at, at West Virginia University, there was this great big, we had a, this great big coliseum that most people called the basketball coliseum, but we knew it was actually a wrestling coliseum. We let the basketball team use it. And our, our practice facility was next to it. And we would come out and the coach would say, you know, you think about this just naturally. It's, it's bizarre. You're going to let some guy tell you to do this? This is crazy. You know, and there was all, I think it held like 16,000 people. It's a big building. And there's steps. And he says, okay, so you get up to the top. He says, now run up the steps, go across the top and run down the next. And keep doing it until you've gone all the way around. And oh, by the way, you have to hit every step. You're not allowed to skip any steps. So there we were with our sweats and everything, hitting every step, running up, over, down, over, up. It's bizarre, actually. Why did I let some guy tell me to do that? Because he was coaching me. He was training me. And I became, he he spoke. I submitted to his authority. It changed my behavior, and my changing of behavior changed me and made me a better athlete. 
and everything that happened in the wrestling room. It was all, it was all the same thing. Well, God, through his word, coaches us. He speaks to us and he trains us. If, if we submit to his authority and we do what he says, our very doing of what he says changes us. Amen? And makes us into the people that he wants us to be. And notice in this whole process from he, it's profitable for teaching. He ends up with training. Okay, so he teaches us. He alarms us, he corrects us, he trains us. Notice that our behavior is included. It starts with teaching, ends with training. It starts with content going in our brain. It ends with our behavior changing, our life, our characters changing. God puts them together. It's not enough merely to learn facts from the Bible. We have to respond to God as he speaks to us in the Bible and let, it, let him change the way we live. Amen? That was a low amen, but I'll take it. It's not just information. It's transformation. That's where God is leading in our life. And then notice the result. If we follow God and let God speak to us in those four ways through his word. Look at verse 17. Look what happens. It says, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Adequate means complete or capable. Capable of what? Capable of good works. Doing good with our life. Doing good to other people. You know, um, Satan in in his trickery has done a number on us evangelicals, I think. We, we know, we have seen the error of people losing the gospel. So that the gospel is that, that our sin has completely ruined us and we are not able to get reconciled back to God. We have this problem that, that, that we deserve punishment from God. We're severed. Our relationship is severed from God. We want to be reconciled back with him. And we can't do it ourselves, no matter what good we try to do. By our good works, we can't reconcile this problem. Amen? So Jesus comes, and in our place, he dies on the cross. And it was his good work on the cross that gets reconciliation between me and God. Amen? So we understand that we are saved by faith. We look at Christ and we believe in him. We were saved by faith. By faith I'm reconciled, not by my good works and my good deeds. We're together so far? And we, so we know that other people are saying, oh, you just have to do enough good deeds and you'll get to heaven. And we're saying, no, you're saved by what Christ did, not by your good deeds. And we push back so hard <laughs> that so, if you would listen to some evangelicals talk, we think ill of good deeds. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Anybody talks about good works, we, we think, huh, watch out. You're talking about good works. No, remember, we're talking about good works. Good works are good. The problem is if you think you're going to get to heaven by doing them, that's bad. But the deeds are good. And God has actually saved us to do good deeds. Amen? 
We aren't saved by doing good deeds, but we're saved so that we do good deeds. Look at Titus. Just turn one book over. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. See, he's redeeming us from the bad deeds and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. We're saved and changed and God uses his word. He impacts us by informing us and alarming us and correcting us and molding us so that our lives will be full of doing good. Amen? Doing good to other people. My question for you this morning is, are you cooperating with God in this process that he's doing in your life? He informs you. You're, you're walking along on the road and he's informing you. Of, 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 he's informing you. But if you start to get off the path, you're supposed to be going that way. He alarms you through his word. If you respond to that, then he, he corrects you. He turns you around and gets you back on the path. And then as you keep going, he, he molds you, he coaches you, he trains you as you keep moving forward. Are you cooperating with God? Are you resisting him? He's speaking to you through your word, through his word. Listen, listen to him. And then when we get to chapter 4, Paul looks at Timothy and there in the first part of verse 2, he says, preach the word. The word of God is profitable and it's to be preached. It's interesting when he, that word preach, it means to proclaim aloud or to announce or to do so publicly. It's a public proclamation and it's a declaration. It's saying, this is the message from God. This is true. You know, in, in our speaking, our speaking with other people who are grappling with the message of the Bible or who don't know the message of the Bible includes such kinds of communication as dialogue, um, give and take, debate, discussion, questions and answers, learning from each other, sharing opinions. But at some point, there must be an announcement. The person listen, listening and interacting with you must understand that something's being proclaimed to them. It's being declared to them. Jesus did not say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. What do you think? What do you think? Is that okay? <laughs> no, he said, I am, I am the way. And the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That was what Jesus said. There is a, there is a, a sense of announcement to that, of proclamation in it. There's a statement, this is true. 
What are you going to do with it? This runs against our postmodern sensibilities when, you know, you can have your truth and I can have mine and she can have hers and they can all be different and it doesn't matter. And I'm not being insensitive, I don't think, to the fact that there's much of postmodern thinking in our heads at this time in history. It's true. But, but my bottom line, well, is this might not sound so good, but my response to that is, so what? It, in one sense, it doesn't matter. We, we, we dialogue, we share opinions, but in the end, the message is the message. And somehow, in love, we leave the person with that idea that this is, being, this is, a not, this is not up for negotiation. This is, this is actually the message. Jesus Christ died in your place on the cross. What will you do with him? That's the answer, and there is no other. So this, uh, that's wrapped up in this word preach here in verse 2. And in the time remaining, I want to just quickly mention to you, as Paul talks here, he gives, he gives Timothy two reasons why the word of God must be preached. Two reasons why. There are more in the Bible, but in this passage, there's two. First of all, God will hold us responsible for what we have done with his word. Look again at verse 2. It says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, the ju- who is to judge the living and the dead. It's as, if, it's as if Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, imagine that the judgment day has come upon you. Imagine that you're in his presence. And you are in his presence even right now, but imagine that you're in his presence on the judgment day. What do you want him to have seen in your life concerning the proclamation of his word? Live now in light of that judgment day, in light of the fact that you're going to be held accountable by God for what you've done with his word. Now, Timothy was a preacher. Timothy was a teacher. He had that particular calling for God. And so there's, there's an edge to this passage that applies especially to people who are, who are called to preach. And I, I feel that edge very keenly. But, but each of us in this room have a calling too, a particular calling too. And, and you might not stand up and preach, but you can participate in the preaching of the church in various ways. A multitude of people do a multitude of things. I get up and preach. I get the attention, but there's a multitude of people that have done a multitude of things to enable this particular moment, as an example, to happen. Everyone uses their gifts. Everyone uses their their own energy, their own resources, so that the word of God is preached. And then in your own conversations with other people, you can proclaim, you can interact with people and, and, and proclaim the message, even though you're not, quote unquote, preaching. The question that this passage leaves with each of us, though, is what are you doing to further the communication of God's word to others? Amen. What are you doing? To participate in the furthering of the communication of the word of God to other people. God will hold us responsible for what we have done with his word. 
And the second reason why we're to preach that's in this passage is this, that God will succeed in his plans for humanity. Look again at verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. And then he says, and by his appearing and his kingdom. I love this. By his appearing and his kingdom. We're supposed to do what we do and live as we live because we know that he is coming. He's moving us. He's moving human history towards towards a there's a purpose in it all. And he's moving it according to his plan. He's moving us forward and he is coming and the completion of his plan depends upon his coming and he will come. He will come and his kingdom will be established to the nth degree. Think about the Lord's prayer. Where they said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he says, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know that's going to happen, don't you? Amen? We're a part of it now. We, we want to keep living with God and seeing him do what he's going to do through us. But we know that when Jesus comes back... We'll no longer have to pray this. Amen. His will will be done. And then there's a new heavens and a new earth. And there's going to be his will done on earth as it is in heaven. God will succeed in his plans for eternity. Therefore, preach the word. Amen. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Preach the word. The, the, the propagation of the word of God is tied into the purpose of God coming to completion. So we preach the word of God. And by the way, it won't always be easy. Look at verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth. We'll turn aside the miss. People aren't going to like the alarming part of the word of God. They're not going to like it when the word of God alarms them. They don't like it when the word of God tries to correct them. They don't like that. And gradually people are going to get teachers that just stay away from that stuff and tell them the nice stuff. They want, they want the rain coming from the clouds that waters the earth and has the loving kindness part to it. But the part about correction they don't want. And so, so it's not going to be easy, but, but Paul says to Timothy, keep doing it anyway. Keep doing it anyway. I've got to end with this passage. Look at Isaiah 6. It's on page 821. You know the passage when Isaiah has a vision of God in the temple. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. There's something very instructive in that passage about preaching the word and Remember, when I say that, we all participate in that in one way or another. Verse 1, in the year of King Uzziah's death, Isaiah writes, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, as he sees, you see, he's seen a manifestation of God that very few human beings have seen while on earth. And he says, verse 5, woe is me for I am ruined. Because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. So he's cleansed. Oh, there's so much here we could talk about. Then verse 8, Then then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. Verse 9, and he said, go and tell this people. So he's going to say, now go and preach, communicate the word, tell the message to people. But listen what follows. Tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. (laughs) Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. There's a lot in this passage and we don't have time to go into it completely. But basically Isaiah is being told, now you go and you speak my word to people and they're not going to receive it. How'd you like to have that commission? Now, there's hope because down in verse 13, from a stump of a tree that's been felled, a little sprout sprout comes up. And so there's hope. There's going to be some. There's going to be some. But many, many, many will not understand. They will not perceive. They will be insensitive, dull. Their eyes will be dim. They're not going to return and be healed. But in this passage, we see that there is a purpose of God in the preaching of the word, even to those who will not receive it. We obey what God has told us to do in the proclamation of his word. We obey because he told us to. Not because we always see the results that we want to see. And we obey because the process of preaching the word is primarily about God and his purposes, not about humans and their response. And we obey because we've seen God. Amen. And that's really all that matters. We've experienced God in Jesus Christ. And so we listen to him in his word and we do what he says, no matter what, because we've seen him. And that's all that really matters. So we think about the word of God and the fact that it informs us and it alarms us. It turns us and it molds us. We think about why we're so concerned about proclaiming the word to others. Well, it's because we're going to be held accountable by God for what we've done with his word, how we've participated in that. And also because God is going to succeed in his plans for humanity. And the proclamation of his word ties into that. 
In all of this picture, in all of this picture, I trust, though, that as God looks at you and your heart, he sees in you a heart like he saw in the King Josiah. He said to Josiah one time where he was speaking about some of the evil that was going on around the King Josiah and some of the consequences that would fall on people because of it. But then he was telling Josiah, but, but I'm not going to have those consequences fall on you. He says, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words. Is your heart tender? When God speaks through his word to you, is your heart tender? And do you humble yourself before him and receive what he says to you, no matter if it's alarming or correcting or if it's just informing and training, but you receive it and then you obey and you obey because you've seen him. And that's all that it really, that's all that really matters. I trust that that tender heart will be in each of us. Let's stand together and close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We've seen over the last several weeks how trustworthy it is, and now we see what you're doing with it in our lives. Oh, Father, I pray that each of us would have tender hearts before you to receive what you're telling us and to obey no matter what. And give us, O oh Lord, glimpses of yourself, uh, special uh, manifestations of yourself to each of us, that we can see you, O oh Lord, and obey you as Isaiah did, no matter what. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless.